Today's scripture, you may have noticed already, is Proverbs uh, 22. We're going to look at that for just uh, a moment or two. And then James chapter 1, uh, spend a little time there as well. Moving around a little bit today because we're kind of cleaning up um, in a series, a short series here. And this is part two, entitled Snapshots of Rage. I hope you're not mad that I'm doing it again. <laughs> Very good. You're on the uptake boy right now. Um, and just to review, we said anger is destructive. That's all we need to review. Anger is destructive. It will probably hurt the one you're angry at or the reason you're angry, but it hurts you more, and it's more lasting. We also said that the best antidote for anger is, anybody remember that one word? Correct. Delay. Delay. That is, get that in your head because that's a great word to remember. Remember us talking about Moses? How many remember that in the last or in the first one in this series? Remember we talked about his simmering rage was like a bottle of Coke that kept getting shaken. And some of you were worried because you thought I might be letting the cap off this thing and pointing it at you. Simmering rage. And the more you shake this up, the more agitated it gets, and the hotter it gets, and the more ready to blow it gets. And whoever's not sitting up straight and paying attention and taking notes this morning will be the recipient of my rage when I point, when I point the Coke bottle at you. And, and, you know, we took the opposite side of that with the water bottle and said, you can shake this all day long and tomorrow too. And nothing's going to really happen. It's, the top's not going to blow off it, and uh, it's not going to sizzle around the top. And if I op- took the top off and pointed at you, you're not going to get wet. Nothing's going to happen. And that's a delay. That's just keeping it where it should be. And the other, of course, is that simmering rage. We see that Moses struggled with this. I'm going to go back and visit Moses again in this message and then move on from there. But I, want us to, I wanted to set that as the, as the backdrop. It's the backstory to what I'm saying. We're talking about anger and rage because it's mentioned in Scripture and we see so many examples of it that it must be important for us to understand how to handle ourselves and how to depend on God to get over uh, these anger fits. So this is, uh, I think, timely, and yet I think we can learn more even from what we learned last time. And if you're open, I am. So now let's open our hearts and pray and ask God to do his work. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for bringing us together today. Thank you for the, the blessing of fellowship. We, we just thank you that right now, in, in the midst of the summer season, we can, we can come together and come apart from the busyness of life and take a few moments and consider your word, consider your instruction, listen to what you have for us, and hear your Holy Spirit lead us into those new avenues. Lord, it's not new truth, it's just truth, and truth that we should adhere to. And as one great divine said, it isn't a revelation of new things that we need, it's a reminder of things that we already know. And these are things that we already know and we're aware of and we give mental assent to, but sometimes we have a hard time applying and getting them into the pattern and the stream of our lives. So Lord, may that be today. For someone here today, whoever it is, may anyone here who who hears this voice, would I just pray that they would say, maybe it's me, maybe I'm the one, maybe I should be making some adjustments. And if so, Lord, Bring assistance and aid and comfort and encouragement to that person and to all of us, for we pray in Jesus' name. And the church said, the guy spent about three and a half, four hours enduring long lines, surly clerks, and insane regulations at a place called the Department of Motor Vehicles. (laughs) Whenever I use that analogy, people get it immediately. And after getting through that experience, he stopped at a toy store to pick up a gift. I guess it was a Christmas, uh, not a Christmas gift, but a birthday gift for his son. And so then he brought his uh, selection, which happened to be a baseball bat, to the cash register. And uh, the clerk asked, cash or charge? And he said, cash. And the man then apologized for his rudeness, and he said, I'm sorry, I've just spent all afternoon at the Motor Vehicle Bureau. And the clerk said this, and I loved it. 
Well, shall I gift wrap the bat? Or are you going back there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. All that to say this, we can do some crazy things when we allow our anger to take hold of us, right? Yes or no? Yeah. yeah. I don't suppose, as anybody here, oftentimes I speak in a, va a vacuum, nobody, it, it doesn't apply to anybody, but I'm going to ask it anyway just to exercise my lungs. Have you ever done things while you were angry that you wish you could take back? No, I didn't think so. Because when I get this out of like a hundred and whatever people, it's a, we call that a reticent answer. It's like the answer is really yes, but I'm not going to make myself look foolish and say yes. I'm just going to go along with the crowd. Mm -hmm. Have you ever done things while you were angry that you wish you could take back? Yes. Mm. Yeah, I have to. You're getting me there right now. No. <laughs> Anger can be one of the most destructive things in our lives, folks. And we need to get control of our anger, and we need to channel it into productive instead of destructive ways. It's important to understand our anger and to realize what causes it and, 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 and to see how to control it. And so we're going to look into this, what I call the life issue of anger, because it is a life issue. And with Moses, it went on all of his life, as we can see. And we want to look at the problems of, of, of un, unmitigated anger, and we want to learn how to beat it at its core in our own lives. Wouldn't that be great? Let me say this. I think I made a reference to this in the first message on this subject, that anger is a universal human experience. If you've never been angry, you probably have never drawn breath. When a newborn baby is laid down in the crib the first time and doesn't really like the position he's in or the surroundings, what's he do? Or she? No, they get angry. They're like, what are you guys up there anyway? Dumb? I don't feel good. I'm not comfortable. This isn't great. Unwrap me. I don't get that. You wrap these little babies up and all you can see is the eyeballs. I'd be crying too. That's kind of silly. It's an intense emotional reaction that may express itself through frustration. Ever been frustrated? Irritability, annoyance, impatience, blowing off steam, shouting, intimidating, insensitivity, fretting, quitting, backbiting, or depression. Hmm. And some people, I think, have all those characteristics. And there are a lot of passages, just, I mentioned Proverbs here, in Proverbs 22 in particular. There are many passages in the book of wisdom, in Proverbs, and, and that's interesting to note, that, that, um, that focus on anger. And one I love is, um, is Proverbs 22, or well, we're going to look at it in a moment. Uh, uh, just get Proverbs 22 ready. In his biography, it's entitled Number One, Billy Martin, <laughs> Texan, right? Famous baseball player. Uh, he's a former manager, managed different teams. He managed the Yankees five times. He was, he was hired and fired five times. His best friend in baseball was Mickey Mantle, the Hall of Famer. And Mickey had a friend, because he was from Texas, he had a friend who would let them go down on the ranch and hunt whenever they wanted to come hunt. So this particular day when they reached the ranch, Mickey told Billy to wait in the car while he checked in with his friend and make sure it was okay to go on the property and hunt. Mantle's friend quickly gave him permission. He said, sure, go ahead where you usually go. You know my property. You go ahead and hunt. But he said, oh, by the way, Mick, before you go, I have one, just a small favor to ask. Mickey said, what's that? He said, look, I got a pet mule out in the barn who was going blind. He's not much good for anything anymore, really, with all due respect. I don't have the heart to put him out of his misery. And he asked Mickey Mantle to shoot the mule. And Mickey came back to the car. He said, this is going to be fun. Not shooting the mule, but what he does with Billy Martin. 
He gets back to car and he pretends to be very, very angry. He's scowling. He slams the door. Billy asked him what was wrong. Mick said, oh, I don't know what's wrong with him today. Why? He said, he said he wouldn't let us hunt today. I'm so mad at that guy, and he's been a good friend of mine. I'm going out to the barn and shoot one of his mules. The mantle drives like a maniac out to the barn. And Martin protests, we can't do that. Mickey was adamant, you watch me. When they got to the barn, Mantle jumps out of the car with his rifle. He runs inside, he shoots the mule. And as he's leaving, he hears two shots. And he runs back to the car and he sees Billy Martin had taken out his rifle too. He says, Martin, what are you doing? Martin yelled back, face absolutely red with anger. He said, we'll show him. I just shot two of his cows. Oh, no. <laughs> Look, eh, that's a true story, by the way. Anger can be dangerously contagious. I see it all, and this is an exaggeration, but not an exaggeration, in the different lines of work that I've been in outside of ministry, and in ministry, and in ministry, and in the church. I see it a lot. It's what we call picking up others' offenses. Anger can be dangerously contagious. Now down to Proverbs 22 that I mentioned a moment ago and down to verse 24 and 5. It says this, or words to this effect depending on what uh, particular version you're using. Make no friendship with an angry man, and with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest you learn his ways, and that sets a snare for your soul. Let's look at and look into a little bit further this life issue of anger. Let's see its problem uh, for what it is. Let's learn how to face on, handle it, resolve it, and control it. I hope you're with me as we move ahead, because there's something here for each one of us. Of course, rage carry, acts of rage carry consequences. Have you already noticed that? Moses, have you noticed? <laughs> yeah. In Deuteronomy, a case in point, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 26, we see Moses prayed three times that the judgment upon him might be reversed. And finally, this is what God says to Moses. Don't pray for that again. The answer, my answer, is no. So you see, acts of rage carry consequences. What can we learn about Moses and from Moses concerning anger buildup, pity parties, Fits of rage, call it what you will. Well, over in the New Testament, the Apostle James offers good counsel. I believe it can be good counsel for anyone, anywhere, at any time. Here's what he wrote in chapter 1, down verses 19 and 20, if you're following. He said, everyone should be, what? Everyone should be, let's try that again. And you read with me. Everyone should be. Quick to listen. That's great. And then what? And then what? Yeah. Just think of that simple principle. If you used it, and I used it, in our everyday life, going forward, no matter what. Just think. So many times we have our response before we even hear the problem or the, the situation. I still say that's why God gave us two ears and one mouth, so we could hear first. And that's what James says, everyone should be quick to listen. The only thing quick here is listening. Everything else is what? Slow, Slow. <laughs> right? Slow to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. <laughs> yeah. What advice, huh? Now, I believe this. I believe Moses knew that principle. The reason I believe that is that I believe all of us do. I don't think there's a person alive or ever been alive that doesn't know that principle. That we ought to listen, get the facts. Don't just act on our emotion. Don't make your action a reaction. Deep within, 
Moses must have been aware that his own raging temper, which continued to get worse and worse and worse, and just kept boiling up and boiling up and boiling up and boiling up and boiling up, could not advance the righteous cause of a holy God. Then he has the audacity to come to God and cry out for forgiveness and say, couldn't we just not have the penalty portion of this? And God says, do not pray that again. You've prayed it three times. The answer was no the first two times, and the final answer is no. Yet through the years, he never worked with the Lord to slay that destructive monster within. And in the end, it rose up and consumed him. It's a tragically sad story of one of our great Bible heroes. So what can we learn from Moses' unwillingness to tame his anger? Well, I think there are three simple things that we can learn. And when I say simple things, I mean those are things that probably could be overlooked if we weren't careful. First, an act of disobedience stems from unbelief. And you can use that even in your own personal experience, especially if you're a parent and a child disobeys. One of the underlying reasons they disobey or that child disobeys is because they don't believe that you mean what you say. They don't believe that that's really the, the line. I can't step over this line. They don't believe that that's the boundary. If I go any further, I've broken the law. I've broken your law. I've broken your command. And it's the very same thing that I'm teaching here. God's assessment of Moses' disobedience is that it stems from a lack of faith in God. Moses hadn't, never did Moses say, or it would have been quoted in Scripture, never once did he say, well, I don't want to do it your way. Lord, I don't care what you say. I, don't, I just, I don't, I don't trust you, God, so I'm not going to do it your way. He never ever said that. Yet that's the meaning of it. That's the reality of it. When we know God's will and willfully move in another direction, then that is unbelief, pure and simple. When Moses turned a deaf ear from God, did what he wanted to do, then he demonstrated what he really believed, and that was that God did not know the best way to handle those rebels. And when you or I turn a deaf ear towards God and turn in the other direction and do what we want to do, knowing that that's not what God wants us to do, and willfully walk against or in opposition to the known will of God, we're saying, well, God doesn't really know how to handle this, so I'll have to handle it. In one of his 75 books, F.B. Meyer, a very, like a great British a pastor and evangelist of the 19th century, wrote this comment, and I quote. Listen to the whole comment. It is a solemn question for all of us whether we are sufficiently accurate in our obedience. It is a repeated burden of those sad chapters of Hebrews which tell the story of the wilderness wanderings, he calls them, the cemetery chapters of the New Testament that they could not enter in because of unbelief. But throughout the verses, the margins suggest the alternative reading of disobedience. They could not enter in because of disobedience. Because, you see, disobedience and unbelief are the two sides of the same coin, a coin of the devil's mintage. They who, listen to this, they who disobey do not believe, and they who do not believe disobey. End of quote. No, no, no wonder this man at, at the turn of the two centuries ago was wanted all over the world for his writing and his preaching and his evangelism and his, and his work within Churches all over, not just Great Britain, but uh, in Asia and here in America. No wonder. That statement alone should arrest our attention. That statement alone, if we really drink it in, could change our lives if we really take heed to it. He's saying at the very root of it all, our disobedience stems from our unbelief. Okay, the second thing we learn is that an act of public disobedience 
diminishes God's glory. In Numbers chapter 20 and verse 12, God declares that Moses' unbelief failed to treat God as holy in the sight of the Israelites. Boy, this is serious stuff. Moses' anger so infuriates God that really what's happening is Moses' anger and unbelief and disobedience is showing God as something less than holy in the sight of the Israelite people. In other words, God's saying, you've tainted my holiness. Moses, you have encouraged these people to forget who I am, that I am the holy God, the God of Israel. We have to realize that all of God's servants and all of God's servant leaders, whoever, wherever you are or they are, live in a divine fishbowl. We have to remember that we are all on display. If you name the name of Christ, if you're serious about being a devoted follower of Jesus, if you really mean business with God in your life, you're living in a divine fishbowl. You are constantly on display. And if you rise that up to any point of leadership in your Christian life, so much more does that get multiplied. All of our acts of disobedience cast a shadow on the glory of the God we serve. And God is a jealous God. He's jealous that His holiness never be tainted. This is the high calling. It's the high calling of all of us who lead in any capacity. And that doesn't just include me. It includes a lot of people in this room who lead in the name of the Lord Jesus. Serve in the name of the Lord Jesus. Especially those of you that teach. Especially those of you that have the, the ability and the strength and the gift to lead others along. And when you lead or teach in the context of his body, the church, you need to be very, very, very careful. I can't stress this too much. I could really take a side trip here, but I, I won't do it for sake of time. Therefore, friends, let's stay away from anything that's going to diminish the glory of the God we serve. Amen? Church? Amen. Yeah, yeah. And then the third thing we learn is that although any such act of disobedience is forgiven, uh, there's the good news, any and every act of, of, of uh, disobedience is forgiven, can be and is forgiven. I'm happy about that. It still bears painful consequences. Ask Moses. Tragic, sad, awful. God forgave Moses for his sin prompted by his anger, but that did not remove the earthly consequences for that sin of uncontrolled rage. We can trust God and trust that he forgives all of our sins, but that does not mean that automatically he removes all the painful earthly consequences of those actions. God can forgive a drunken binge. You may still have to deal with your OUI. God can forgive a violent outburst. You may still have to deal with your assault charge. God can forgive an adulterous relationship, but you may have to still deal with the loss of your family or your marriage or some other relationship. See, just being sorry and forgiven and forgiven does not make it all better. There are times when even forgiven sins bear terrible consequences. Think about it. Wouldn't you love to have the ability to go back in time and change something you did or you said? I'm not looking at you because I can't stand the pious looks. <laughs> Just 
breaking my heart. You're getting through to me. And no. So for those that block me out here, I'm going to say it again. Wouldn't you love to have the ability to go back in time and change something you did or maybe said? Wouldn't you like to have the capacity for a do-over? Huh? Wouldn't you love to have a staples button so as soon as you thought of it, you could just say, am I forgiven? Yes. That was easy. Wouldn't you like to have a a spiritual easy button? Wouldn't you like to have a do-over button like that? Oh, that's right. I shouldn't have... That was easy. I think Moses would love to have one of these. Matter of fact, what he would love to have had is the opportunity to go back and get it right. I got to stand before you today and say, I can think of many things that I'd like to go. I don't want to just go back in time. I don't want to have to relive all those, all those years. But I can tell you, I'd like to go back in time and get some things right that I really didn't get right first time through. And I'm sure if given another chance, Moses would have kept his anger in check and he would have spoken to the rock. Don't you think? Don't you think he would have? There's doubt in your mind. Boy, if he had a second chance at that, he'd thrown that rod away and he'd have spoken to that rock. I'm convinced of it. But here's the unfortunate part. Moses could not go back. And you and I cannot go back. And you and I don't have a spiritual easy button. That was easy. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice if God had just outfitted us with one of these and every time we thought of that sin that we committed that we really felt bad about and want a complete absolution and no consequences, we could just hit the button? That was easy. Wouldn't that be nice? In a single... Let's get the import of this because I'm not sure we're getting it. In a one single moment of absolute rage... This has been pent up for a long time. This has been coming for quite a while. Old Moses is just, uh, and he was old, and he had listened and watched and, and heard all of this stuff going on for how many years? Like for three generations, if you will, and it's really built up. And in one single moment of rage, listen to this, Moses forfeited his right to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. You don't think God means business? We can think of many other people in Scripture. I can think, I can give you a long list of people in Scripture who would have liked a retake or a do-over. I just think of three real quickly. Eve, give her another chance. Oh, I wish she'd had another chance, don't you? None of that sin nature would be flowing through these veins. I'd like to see her before that tree one more time in the garden. Just give her a second chance, God. Instead of that, she passed that on to you, and he passed it on to me, and passed it on to every living soul. I think King Saul would have given anything for another chance to be patient as he waited for Samuel to arrive and offer the sacrifice, instead of it, he took over and offered the sacrifice. Did you ever get impatient and run ahead of God? No. Me neither. Good. What would David have given? That awesome king of Israel, the man of the glory days of the nation of Israel. Still, the number one king of Israel. What's the symbol of the flag of the nation of Israel even today in 2019? It's the star of David. Even David. Think of it. 
Don't you think he would, what, there's nothing in the world, including his own kingdom, that he would give to relive that night on the rooftop when he first saw Bathsheba at the bath? What he wouldn't give to have that moment totally erased. The sad fact is, none of those people could go back. And neither can you, and neither can I. None of us can. We can't undo sinful deeds. We can't unsay sinful words. We don't really have that was easy. an easy button. Hmm. We can't reclaim. We well, I did this, uh, but it was like 25 years ago, and by now I think God, I, I think he should have forgiven that, and I'm sure he's forgotten, and I'm hoping there won't be any consequences. So, just in case... That was easy. Just in case, I'll push the button just to cover it. And, oh, and then I said something at work to somebody that was really unkind two weeks ago, and they haven't spoken to me since, and I hope that... That was easy. Hmm. We'd be push, pushing that button how many times a day? We can't go back, friend. David couldn't go back. Saul couldn't go back. Eve couldn't go back. Moses couldn't go back. We can't reclaim those moments when we were possessed by rage or lust or indifference or pride. And like Moses, we may be forgiven for, for those sins, but we must live with the earthly consequences. And this is all a sobering reminder, and it's a reminder to me personally, that life on earth is really nothing more than a string of moments, one moment after another, after another, after another. You see, what I, you can say this as well as I can, and it applies to you just as much, 100%, for you as it does for me. What I am today is the sum total of all the decisions I have made in life up to now. Conveniently, we forget about some of those decisions, don't we? But God doesn't. Every one of us here this day would say, Bob, I don't want my life and testimony for Jesus to be shattered. I don't want it to be clouded. I don't want it to be damaged in any way. I don't want to just have that single moment of indulging in my own pride or flesh or lust or whatever. And I don't want one moment of rage or pride to cast a shadow over years or maybe decades of, of walking with the Lord, which has been my pleasure. That should be our prayer. Frankly, I think many people fear that possibility. Do you, do you, do you know what I'm saying? We, we should probably want and need to fear that possibility because and once the minute we get a little too pious and a little too self-confident and a little too sure of ourselves, without God's help, we're standing on the precipice and we're about to take a grand leap off of it. And I've seen it happen so many times that it breaks my heart to watch. What is the possibility that there could be one moment of rage or lust or pride or just plain obnoxiousness to cast a shadow over all those other years of walking with the Lord. You and I ought to fear that possibility. By the way, it happens to the best of people from the best of situations in the highest echelons of leadership and sometimes even in the largest ministries in the world. We should probably say, I want and I need to fear that possibility in my own life. Wherever you or I stop fearing that possibility, then we are giving in to a grave danger. I didn't say we were sinning. I didn't say we had left the will of God. I didn't say we'd left the grace of God. I said we're giving in to the possibility of grave danger. We're walking in unsafe territory. In church, we all need to hear this. In Psalm 19, verse 13, 
There's this wonderful prayer that the psalmist left for us. I love it. It says, uh, Psalm 19.13, Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. What a wonderful prayer. What a great request of God to keep your servant from willful sins. In other words, letting my will run ahead of God's will and what I want and what I think I need as more important than what God dictates. And let those things not rule me. Let me be blameless of that, innocent of great transgression. So if you don't learn anything else today, you can learn this. We can't go back. Let me, let me put forth another postulation here. Even if you could go back, you couldn't change anything. You couldn't change the past. And let me tell you why I'm happy to say that. Because regardless of your past, who you are, who you're with, where you've been, what you've done, how far you've fallen away from God, how low you've gone, no matter what, here's why I'm glad to be able to say that. Thankfully, we are forgiven by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So even if I could go back, I'm going to decide today I wouldn't want to because it couldn't change anything anyway. I'd rather be where I am, living under the grace of God. Knowing my sins are forgiving. There's no greater knowledge than that. So, knowing that we can't go back, knowing that we couldn't change anything, thankful that we're forgiven, what are our takeaways? What, what? That's what we can't do. What can we do? Because they leave you with all these, well, you can't do that, and you can't do that, and you can't, it sounds like your parents, right? So what can we do? Who wants to hear that? Well, everybody does. What can I do? You've torn me down, now can you build me up? Sure. What can we do? Number one, we can walk much closer to the Lord. No matter where you are now, even if you're walking very close to the Lord. You can decide right now. I'm going to walk closer to the Lord. I like where I am. I appreciate what God's doing for me. I feel like I'm close to the Lord, but I'm going to make every effort to walk closer to the Lord. Huh? Isn't that a good goal? What else can we do? We can keep short accounts with the Lord. Let me tell you why... I deem that as being very important. Because nobody has a lease on life. Right? You listen to the news? Nobody knows. How long he or she has. Right? Don't let these things build up. Keep short accounts with the Lord. Oh man, I really messed up today. Get on your knees. Not tomorrow. Not on Sunday. Not next week. Nobody has a gift of anything other than today. The Bible says, Thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Boy, isn't that true? So keep short accounts. Something else we can do, we can do, is lean on the Holy Spirit to guard our hearts huh? and to shield us from destructive action. Wouldn't that be a good prayer every day? And wouldn't that be a great exercise every day to just get closer to the Lord and Lean on the Holy Spirit and let him lead and let him have his way and listen to that, that voice as it calls to you and let him guard your heart and let him shield you from the destructive, life-shattering actions that could befall you. No one is exempt, you know, from these things happening. And if we do these three things, the things that we can do, 
God will do everything that he can do if we allow him to do it. We've got to open up to him. We're going to walk close with the Lord. He'll walk close with us. We're going to keep short accounts with the Lord. He'll listen. He'll forgive. He'll keep you close to him. You uh, want to lean on the Holy Spirit to guard your heart and to keep you from these destructive actions. He'll do exactly that. You want to pray the, the, the hedge of protection around you? I have people that I pray every day, seven days a week, I pray for the hedge of protection, as the Bible calls it, around that person or those people. Why? Simple reason. Because we all need it. And God says, if you'll obey this, you do what you can, I will promise you, I'll do what I do. Here's another wonderful promise. I love the promises of the Word. I hope you do too. This one's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Ah, the Word of God is just replete with these great, great verses. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 13, some of you have probably committed this to memory. I'm, I'm reading from a different translation, so it might, there's a couple, there are a couple of words that will sound different. No temptation has seized you or overcome you except what is common to man. So see, whenever you and I get in this awful kerfuffle and we don't know what to do, nobody's ever been here before. Nobody's ever experienced this. Nobody's ever had it as tough as I have. Nobody's ever been hurt like I'm hurt. Nobody's ever been here. Paul says, no temptation has ever seized you except what's common to man. You may look like, you may sound like, you may act like a very uncommon person. But God says, nothing's going to seize you except what is common to man. And then he says, and God, our God, is faithful. Oh, woo! Our God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And I honestly believe that some people that have heard that verse just take it to the very fence. I mean, they take it to the limit. Like, I know I can go here because God will, he won't let me go too far and he knows what I can bear. And that's not the meaning of this at all. He will not let you be tempted. It won't even come beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up or that you can thrive under it. By the way, I don't see a word, I don't see a one in any translation, I don't see the word deliver in there. It doesn't say, oh, don't worry, you just pray to God and he'll take you right out of that. He'll deliver you. No, he'll give you strength to get through it and he'll give you strength to stand up and to bear it and to keep going. If anybody in scripture knew about that, certainly it was the Apostle Paul. God provides the way, and he provides the way to overcome your temptation. And I should repeat it because some people, somebody in here, and I don't know who, needs this. God provides the way to overcome your temptation. God provides the way to overcome your temptation. So if this then becomes our way of life, Then when God says, speak to the rock, guess what? We will speak and not strike. Amen? So if we've learned anything from Moses, we've learned a lot from Moses, right? And the water, let me just tell you, that flows from that kind of obedience will refresh us with no aftertaste of regret. Who wants to get the living water and have that aftertaste of, re oh, I still regret it. I still, that's not godly forgiveness. That's not the operation of the grace of Almighty God. Sorry, it isn't. I just praise God that he can give us the power to control and direct our lives. We have the power. We have the power within. We have the Holy Spirit. He's resident within us those of us that know Christ as Savior, that we might be like him. That is our goal. And that we might avoid the dangerous and destructive actions that we've talked about, especially the anger danger and the simmering rage 
that eventually will cause us to blow our top and make a big mess. And by the way, what comes out of there when it blows? Can't put it back in. Can't pretend that didn't happen. Can't say, oh, well, it's, no. So from just simple natural things, how much we can learn about ourselves and what God wants to know, wants us to know about His great grace. I realize the thrust of this series, this little two-part series, has been to point out the destruction and the danger that anger and rage will, uh, will pose and to challenge us to avoid it. So to leave, I thought, well, how can I leave this? It's just a little two-part series. Some of you maybe didn't get the first part. Uh, I believe it is on our, uh, on, our, on our website, so you can go and listen to it. But here are some things, what I call simple action steps, uh, that you can put into practice to manage your anger. Who wouldn't like simple, four simple steps to know how to uh, manage anger? Oh, good. And I'm going to give you the word, and if you're a note taker or you're notating in your, uh, in, in your Bible app or your, your app there, uh, if you can write them down, it would help. The first action step, <laughs> you say, Is, isn't this obvious? Well, if it were obvious, I wouldn't be saying it. And I'm, I wish it were obvious. And everything that should be obvious isn't, and everything that isn't obvious, I don't know. So the first action step is awareness. Awareness. Hmm. And all I mean by that is to be aware of your weakness and your vulnerability. In other words, your points, your trigger points, your... Huh? Things that set you off. The buttons that are pushed that, oh, there we go. To know yourself is awareness. Awareness of your weakness and awareness of your vulnerability. Second action point. Then if you're aware, preparedness. And that simply means, what will I do when I begin to go in the wrong direction? Will I just go like full Monty and then afterwards say, oh, well, okay, I lump it all together. We'll just come with one great big forgiveness. Let's not presume on anything. Let's just be prepared. And when we see ourselves, feel ourselves, or someone points out that we're beginning to move in the wrong direction, we prepare because we're aware of what our vulnerability is. Third action step, and if you're writing down, I want you to underline this one, slowness. How to react slowly when things don't go right. Because the best antidote to rage is delay. Thank you. Delay. So you need to know in your life how to proceed slowly. And fourth, lastly, and most importantly, and I feel confident leaving this with you, prayerfulness. What is that? That's constant connection to God. There's nothing religious about it. There's nothing magical about it. There's nothing mystical about it. There's nothing. It's constant connection with God. God, I'm aware. I know when things are not heading in the right direction. I know how to prepare if I see that happening. I know what to do and how to do it and to do it slowly. And I know that if I just stay close to you, God, and just lean on the Holy Spirit, and just believe that you know best, all will be well. And I hope and pray for every one of you, don't know you all, 
and don't know the situation that anybody really here might be going through or what you might be handling or trying to handle, I hope this series has been some help to you. And I hope you'll refer to it in these times. We're living in difficult times. We're living in times of hurt. We're living in times that people don't know how to handle certain situations. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of rage. There's a lot of unforgiveness. Uh, you know, you could say our society is in turmoil, but you could say that about any society at any given time. Why? Because God's not in control. That's why. And people are not seeing this. And I think if anybody needs to see it and practice it and live by it and swear by it, it's those who say they believe in Jesus Christ and are followers of him. And I hope that's every one of you. And if you're not a follower of Jesus and you're not serious about following him and you're having some problems with any of these areas, feel free to speak to me before you leave today or speak to someone near you today or fill out the uh, connect card that's in the seat pocket in front of you and just leave your name and your need with us and we will address that. Because we love you, God loves you, and he wants only, only the very best for you. Thank you so much for being attentive. Thank you for being supportive. Thank you for being here. Let's pray together. Precious, loving Father, thank you so much for allowing us to look inward, for allowing us to see ourselves, Lord, maybe even as you see us. Yes, we have needs. Yes, we have weaknesses. Yes, we have shortcomings. Yes, we fall down. Yes, Lord, we understand all of this. And yes, we can blame it on our human nature. We can blame it on someone else. We can blame it on our social surroundings. But Lord, help us just to step back, slow down, speak to you, and realize that you will provide the answer because you are the answer we thank you that lord even in these portrayals these snapshots of rage and we mostly centered on one man but we also see it in other people and then as we get into our own lives we see it in our life and we see it in the lives of people around us and we realize this isn't just an issue this is a real life issue and it's something that needs to be addressed. And in many cases, it needs to be changed. And so, God, help us with your power to see those changes. And help us with your power and grace to live that life that will only bring honor and glory to you and the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. For all of this, we ask once again, with forgiveness and with thanksgiving, in Jesus' name.